Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to another episode of the Blazer Focus Podcast. I am Aaron Fentress. Sports writer for the Oregonian covering the Portland Trailblazers, who are back on the winning track after beating the mighty Charlotte Hornets. I say that facetiously, but they are a little mighty because they have LaMelo Ball, who's been crushing it, and they're actually in the playoff race for the first time in a couple of years. It was a nice win for the Blazers, 123 to 111. They set the franchise record for three-point baskets made with 24. They were on fire in that game. Uh, good for them to get off the losing uh, trek they were on. They lost four in a row. Washington took it to them at home. Then they lost at Phoenix, at Denver, at the Lakers. Not really close on either of those three games down the stretch. They got blown out by the Suns. And that leads them up to Golden State. Wednesday night in Portland, the Warriors are a team very much in the playoff mix. They're actually, I think, the eighth seed coming into this game. And the Blazers need wins against teams like this in the West. They are not doing well against upper echelon Western Conference teams. If you look at the top 10 teams in the West right now, the Blazers are four and six against that group. They are nine and nine overall against the entire Western Conference. That needs to change for them because they have to rack up more wins against that crew of, of teams competing for playoff positioning because down the line, those wins and losses are going to add up either way, either for good or for bad. So today on the podcast, I'm going to have a guest on. He is our new trending reporter at the Oregonian, and his name is Aaron Johannes. I've had the practice learning how to say his name. It's spelled A-R-O-N, but it's not pronounced Aaron or, or Aaron or anything like that. It's Aaron. I'm learning it. I still butchered it. He gave me a C-, minus, uh, but I'm going to get there. I'm going to keep working on it. But he is going to join me today to talk about several different things. The first topic on the docket is going to be Damian Lillard has dropped out of the three-point contest. Chris Haynes from Yahoo Sports reported it first, and apparently it's because he wants to get himself a little bit of rest. He's still going to play in the All-Star game. We're still going to be able to see Robert Covington in the skills challenge, but no Lillard in the three-point contest. So me and Mr. Johannes will talk about that. And then, is there enough room in the NBA for two mellows? Carmelo Anthony is being extremely gracious, allowing LaMelo Ball to also be called Mello. We will give our text on our take, excuse me, on whether or not we think Carmelo should be so gracious. But good for him for being gracious. He's a class act. We're also going to talk about the Western Conference situation, as I mentioned. And then also, what's going to happen with Gary Trent in terms of his role once CJ McCollum returns and takes over that starting guard spot? 
Trent was averaging about 28 or excuse me, about 25, 26 minutes per game until CJ went down. Since then, more like 35, 36, been playing a lot of minutes. Obviously, he's going to lose minutes when CJ comes back. So we're going to talk about that as well. So that's all today on the Blazer Focused Podcast. Please check it out. And also remember to subscribe, leave a positive rating if you can, and you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. Pretty much anywhere. You can find the Blazer Focus Podcast. Obviously, you found it if you're listening to it, but make sure you subscribe. Now, let's move on to my discussion with Aran Johannes. All right, I'm here with uh, my main man, my new main man at the Oregonian, brand new to the Oregonian. His name is, try not to jack it up, Aaron Johannes. We're close. That's good. That's good enough. I will take I that. Good, like a C minus. Yep, I, I'll give. I'll give you like a B plus. Uh, it's, a B plus. It's, yeah, it's Aaron Johannes, but that's that's good enough. That's one of the best I've heard so far. You say it so easily, and then it makes the rest of us feel dumb. But I, I'm gonna practice it because I'm out of respect. I'm gonna get it. Thank I'm you. Get it. But anyway, thanks for joining me on the Blazer Focus podcast. You are new to the Oregonian. You are a trending sports reporter. How are you enjoying your job so far? It's been great, man. I really do um, enjoy what I get to do now. And um, getting back into the journalism media space has been great for me. Um, and to be able to write about and cover so many different things in Portland from you know the Blazers to the Ducks to the NFL to tech stuff. It's been really cool. It's been a great experience so far. And you covered the Milwaukee Bucks for a while. Right? What years was yeah. that? Yeah, I covered the Bucks from 2012 until 2016, aka uh, the the sad years. So the early prominent years of Giannis. So I covered Giannis's rookie season, um, the last season of Brandon Jennings and Monte Ellis, and that uh, historic Ooh, Brandon combination. Jennings, Brandon Jennings. I forgot about that cat. Yeah, that that comp. <laughs> they they legitimately invested in Brandon and Monte Ellis um, as a combination. So. <laughs> You know, having that time was really fun. And then uh, the worst season in franchise history, which was Giannis's rookie year, uh, was certainly interesting. But it was a it, it was a great time. I really do appreciate um, that time in my life. You know, seeing the Bucks being one of the best teams in the league now is crazy because I remember the mm. winning 15 games and struggling and how different it was for the franchise. But the, their old arena and everything was so much more different, man. And, and to see it now is it. It's a it's super appreciative for me to look back on that time and to think that I was a part of that and I got to cover that. You know, the Blazers passed on Giannis. They took CJ McCollum a couple of picks ahead. Yeah. That's one it. of those picks where I mean it's one of those things where a lot of people passed on him. He was a pretty raw, athletic guy that no one yeah. really sure sure what his skills were gonna be like. But man, at the Blazers drafted him. No offense to CJ, but a Dame Giannis combination. <laughs> It'd be insane. It's we'll be running through the league. It's so crazy to think about that draft too, because so many people did not know about Giannis. Like yeah. John Hammond certainly did, but um, you know the, the Hawks were one of the teams that were really interested in Giannis at that time, and you know seeing that happen, and I didn't expect him to be anywhere near what he is now. I expected him to maybe be good, but have a stint maybe at some point in another league. But I did not expect him to be a two-time back-to-back MVP. Sometimes you just don't know. All right, so we are going to talk about a few topics here today. The first one is going to be Lillard dropping out of the three-point contest. Then we're going to get into whether or not the world of the NBA is big enough for two Mellows, <laughs> Carmelo and LaMelo. 
And then uh, Blazers need some wins in the West, man. They're 99 in the West, 10 and 5 against Eastern Conference teams. They have Golden State on Wednesday night. To me, that's a huge game for them. And then last but not least, we're going to talk about Gary Trent's role in the second half. He's been on fire, killing it from outside for this team. But CJ is coming back soon. That's going to put Trent on the bench. So we're going to talk about that. But first, Breaking news that came out, uh, Chris Haynes, who I used to work with at NBC Sports Northwest, broke this for Yahoo Sports on Tuesday afternoon, saying that Damian Lillard has backed out of the three-point contest in order to get some rest. He'll still play in the three-point, excuse me, in the NBA All-Star game. So, if, you know, me, it's easier for me to say, all he's got to do is shoot some threes. He shoots threes in his sleep. <laughs> What's the big deal? I don't know. What do you think about him, him taking some time off to rest, air quotes, during the All-Star break? I am a big proponent of self-care, especially <laughs> as we are in the midst of this uh, global pandemic. So if if Dame wants to take that time off to rest, I am all for it, man. I think certainly what what he's done in the first half of the season for the Blazers without CJ um, it has been remarkable. So if he wants to take that time for a little bit of more extra rest, I am all I'm all for it if he wants to do that with that time. You know, I, I agree. However, I want to see him compete in this. He is easily one of the best three-point shooters in the league. His range is insane. I would like to see what he does in a, in a contest like that's at like this at this stage in his career. And also, you know, the odds of the Blazers winning a championship unless they get another major star are not very good in the next few years, I, I believe. Um, he hasn't been voted in, in as an all-star starter yet. I don't, he's not going to be MVP this season, no matter that, – that six-game winning streak is a long time ago. No one's going to remember that come May and June. So, like, what can he win that's that has some kind of cachet to it? He won the skills competition in 2013. Go out there and win the three-point contest. You know, put that on your mantle because you might not get any other hardware ever. I hate to be pessimistic, but it's a reality. So, to me, it's an opportunity to go out there and showcase your skills as a three-point shooter, you know, for the entire nation. Yeah, and there's also the fact that, you know, last year he was uh, going to be in the three-point contest, but he, I believe he put out because of a hamstring injury. Right, he was hurt. Yeah, so I think, you know, this was kind of that opportunity. If there was a year, I think that he would, he should probably go for it more, would be this year when he has the momentum building of, you know, the Blazers mm-hmm. have been playing pretty good. You know, he's making an MVP case among, um, you know, Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid, LeBron James. If he wants to continue that momentum, that could spark that and that could bump that MVP uh, candidacy up more so this this probably is the year that he probably should go for it more than any other year which i mean i don't i don't i don't necessarily um i don't know it's it's, it's tough because it's like i want to see him get rest but then also it's like do you want to see him be an mvp and this could be the best time for him but we'll yeah, see I, yeah i mean he knows his body better than anyone he knows if he needs more rest he has been working his tail off especially with cj out trying to guide guide this pretty young and green team without cj and nurkic so i'm sure he knows what he's doing i'm not criticizing him at all i'm just saying i would have liked to have seen him uh, compete in this cuz i think he would have a, had a great chance to win it okay the next thing that you know came up after the charlotte game the blazers beat charlotte 123-111 on monday carmelo anthony had a season high 29 points and LaMelo Ball, who I think, and I think everyone thinks, is the real deal. This kid is ridiculous already at 19. He had 30 points, eight assists, six rebounds, I believe. And before the game, LaMelo Ball, known as Melo, 
And Carmelo Anthony, known as Mello, had a little embrace and talked, et cetera, et cetera. Then after the game, they exchanged jerseys. Now there had been, or maybe there still is, this little mini NBA controversy out there where some people believe that it's disrespectful for LaMelo Ball to be going by Mello because Mello identifies so strongly with the legend that is Carmelo Anthony. We all know by now that Carmelo signed off on who he called Little Mellow. I thought that was very cute. I don't know if you heard the press conference or not. Yeah. <laughs> he called him Little Mel- Little Mellow. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but he signed off on both him using Mellow and doing the whole head bump thing, the three-point uh, shot, which I thought was very gracious of Carmelo. I've only co- covered Carmelo now for like six months or whatever, but he's a fantastic cat to cover. Uh, just very personable, very funny. He's 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 made a little, some jabs at me a couple times. But then right away, he's like, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Cause he, and I believe he was kidding, but he's kind of playful that way. So really cool guy. And it's nice of him to be this gracious. But what do you think from, from a fan perspective? You know, Michael is Michael. LeBron is LeBron. Magic's magic. You know, there's certain people that have these names that speak to them. Mello is Carmelo Anthony. How can this young whippersnapper come in here and be also be called Mello? What's up? I'll say this. I think that, well, one, I think it's important. To make sure, I think Melo only approved the one finger to the head versus the three to the dome that he does. And yeah, he, he only did approved, make that distinction. Yeah, which, that distinction. which is cool because I think so. He gave him restrictions on the finger point to the head, but I'll say this: I I think it's funny. Like it's a funny you know Twitter conversation that people are having yeah. for weeks. But I just thought it was just like you know seriously, like this is not a real <laughs> conversation, right? Like anybody that knows, right. I think basketball knows it. Carmelo Anthony is Carmelo Anthony and he's a real mellow. But there's also just a deeper conversation to be had about like what mellow is, right? Like there's only one Carmelo Anthony and mellow made that first. Like he branded, I mean, he didn't officially brand it, but he branded, you know, the cornrows, the headband, the three to the dome. That's mellow, the two armband sleeves on his arms. Like mellow branded that. Like that, that is, that is part of his thing in the NBA that he brought to this generation he's brought to basketball fans as well. So for me, it's really hard to say like, you know, there's going to be two mellows or there's another mellow, like maybe there is a mellow junior, but what mellow did and what he brought in terms of like the fashion and his style of play to the NBA that can't be replaced. So when I think of that, like it's a fun conversation, it's a fun conversation. And I will say, I am very happy that he embraced it and he, he was the veteran, right? Like he showed love to LaMelo about it. he, he, he talked about, you know, the respect factor of it because it's, it's cool. Like if, if you did something that was legendary, right. And I, and I mimicked that in, in a way that showed respect to you because I thought it was something cool. Like I would think, man, that's, I respect that. Like, I like that. Right. A, I, I, I appreciate that a lot. And so to see that from Melo, that side of him was really cool. Um, and, and especially now at this point in his career, you know, where he's kind of, you know, all this player on the teams, all this experienced player on the team, and he's taking that veteran role. It's really great to see him in that in that situation to show love show love to the younger guys like Lamelo, um, to other guys in the league that are coming up. But Melo, that that whole entire nickname and that whole entire like brand of him, he originally started that, and it's hard to see it any other way to any other type of player. So you're saying that no matter what Lamelo Ball does, we'll see. Okay, I agree to a certain extent, but it's going to be a generational thing. Like no matter what Lamelo Lamelo Ball does. Everyone, you know, our age or between your age and my age are going to always remember Carmelo Anthony as Mello. But the younger set who didn't really watch prime Carmelo Anthony are going to identify Mello with LaMelo Ball. 
So it is going to get lost in translation from a generational standpoint. Um, yeah, sure. You get it because you watched Prime Carmelo, and you're still young enough to where you're only you know a handful of years older than what are you, eight years older than Lamelo Ball, eight or nine. Yeah. yeah. So you can you're kind of like in the middle of that. Whereas me, I'm older. I remember Prime Melo, and this young whippersnapper shouldn't be called Melo. <laughs> I don't care what Carmelo says. There's only one mellow, and this cat's little mellow. I love. I'll call him little mellow, little like little like little penny. I'll yeah. call him little mellow, but I can't call him mellow. I refuse to call him mellow. There's only one mellow, but I do think generationally it's going to be a thing where his generation are going to remember him as mellow, and the previous generation is going to remember Carmelo Anthony as mellow. Yeah. Do, do you remember when Glenn Big Baby Davis first came in the NBA and <laughs> yes. people calling him Baby Shaq? Yeah. Like when you think about that now, that's just a ridiculous thing to actually go about calling him like Baby Shaq. Everybody called him Big in Baby. In terms now. of it, right, in terms of uh, his abilities, yeah. it was ridiculous. But they were calling yeah. him that because he was big and he played at big LSU strong. as well, right? Yeah, he played at LSU, yeah. breaking the back yeah. board, very strong. So like right. that's how he. Got I, I thought that was cute. Like to me, that was like because they had the baby part to it, Baby Shaq. That yeah, was cute. That wasn't the same as <laughs> Mel. Like they were calling him Shaq Diesel or something yeah. like that. That would have been ridiculous too. But there's another baby Shaq. There's some kid they were calling Baby Shaq from. Uh, my God, I watched it on TV last. Night. I can't remember who it is. There's a seven foot, two hundred eighty pound cat at some college who they're calling Baby Shaq, who's just ripping down backboards. I gotta look him up. Anyway, I digress. Okay, so you're cool with it, hundred percent, because Mellow, the true Mellow, will never be eclipsed as Mellow. Exactly. Like, I don't think, like, and look, unless I think LaMelo all of a sudden becomes like LeBron James in terms of his levels as a basketball player. Like, I think LaMelo is going to be a very good basketball player. But, man, unless he surpasses Melo in terms of his impact on the court, his play on the court, like, it's going to be very hard to just me to see anybody else being like, that Melo nickname. But it is also strange to be in this, in the sense where, like, you know, I'm, I grew up watching Melo. I only know Melo as Carmelo Anthony. And now I'm watching this young kid come up 19 years old. And I'm like, man, the dude that I grew up watching Melo and, and, and seeing this way is now we have this young, this young kid coming up that can potentially take that over. That just, that's crazy to me to think about like in this position where like I'm watching Melo be old and now I get this young dude coming <laughs> up and potentially like taking to his nickname. That's, that's so, that's so wild for me to at least see, but it's going to be hard for me to give LaMelo like that official brand. Right. Not, like what if someone came along in the next draft and he was called, you know, baby Mamba. It's the uh, same thing. Like would people accept that? I, I don't know if they would, man, that would be tough. Cause I think the world is still obviously mourning like the loss of Kobe and it's right. still settling in. So I think it's too early for that. Maybe I think in a few years we might have some kids that another Mamba will, will be. Yeah, we'll probably be in that nickname category and we'll be in that type of the the, type the, of the the big difference though between those two comparisons is that at least Mello Ball's real name is Lamelo. Lamelo, yeah. <laughs> so it's not you know it's not like you know, a kid would be named Mamba. And then that's his nickname, Mamba. He would have a right to that. So Lomelo does actually have some inherent naming rights to Melo because his name is Lamelo. That's true. And this might be completely reckless speculation. I'm not reporting this. But <laughs> I'm there all is for also, reckless speculation. <laughs> there's, but there's also the chance that Lamelo was named after Carmelo Anthony. Like, I don't 100% know this. Maybe LeVar could prove this. but He's 19. It, yeah. Well, he would have named him based on 
Syracuse. Yeah. But that's but there's also just the fact that maybe he could be like maybe he was named after Carmelo Anthony, which I mean it's like okay, maybe there is a little bit if that were the case, then then yeah, that's different. Yeah, then, okay. but but then I, maybe I would consider you know the Melon. I don't think that's the case, though, but right. <laughs> I don't think that's the case because Car- Carmelo's been in the league eighteen years. Uh, so nineteen years ago he was at Syracuse. I doubt Levar Ball would have named his son after some freshman at Syracuse. I mean, who knows? He, he did look good at Syracuse, though. He did look good at Syracuse. Got him <laughs> to the national title. That's true. All right, we've exhausted that. We've beaten that to death. I think we did a great job beating it to death. Okay. Let's move on to something more, uh, a more serious note for these Blazers. Okay, they are nine and nine in the Western Conference, ten and five against Eastern Conference teams. Uh, why is that significant? Well, I asked Terry Stotts about, you know, if they needed to rack up some wins against the West, especially within the group of teams they're competing with. He downplayed it by saying we need wins. Period. A win is a win, and that you know the Golden State win is a tiebreaker win if they ever end up tied. True. I sort of meant more that they need wins within the group of teams competing for right now, the four spot. If we assume that's going to be Lakers, I see the Utah Lakers, Clippers, and Suns for the top four, although Suns could fall back. Then you're looking at Portland, San Antonio, Denver, Golden State, Dallas, Memphis, and the Pelicans. The Pelicans are 11th, and they are only two and, uh, they're three and a half out of eight. So I'm, I'm going to consider they're in it for now. Um, they have to rack up wins within that group because every time you Win within that group, you basically make two, make up two games on somebody. It's a two game. Well, it's a two game swing when you win versus losing. It's a two game swing against that team. So each game in that group is huge moving forward, and they're going to add up. Whenever we get to the end of this thing, last ten games, and people are jockeying for position, and we look at the standings, you're going to be able to look at where someone else is and say they're in seventh place right now because they lost to this team, this team, and this team recently, and that's what pushed them down. So these wins are huge. I think they. It's not a must win against Golden State, but they have to start getting wins, quality wins like this against the West because, like I said, they're nine and nine in the West, but against the top 10 teams in the West, they are four and six, five and six if we count the Pelicans who are actually 11th, but they have wins over the Lakers, Warriors, Dallas, and Golden State, not counting Pelicans. And they've lost to the Lakers, Warriors, Clippers, Suns, Denver, and San Antonio. So they're four and six against the teams that matter. That's going to catch up. So I ask you, how important is this game against Golden State uh, coming up? And then how important is it for them to start racking up a bunch of wins against these West teams moving forward? I think it's definitely very important for them to get this win against Golden State, especially, you know, just looking at, you know, obviously Golden State's eight right now in the West. And then you have the all-star break coming up. That's a good way to kind of head into that break as well. But then you just look at the second half of the schedule. Like this is, it's going to be a very tough second half for them. I mean, when they come out of the all-star break, their first game is going to be against Phoenix. Who's above Mm -hmm. them right now in the standings, but they have a, uh, I mean, in the month of March, they have a back-to-back against Dallas on March 19th and the 21st. And then you look later on, like as the season goes on, especially going into April, um, they're going to play Utah. They have to play um, the Clippers at, at the beginning of April on April 6th and April 8th. And then, after that, they uh, they have another stretch uh, towards the end of the month where they're playing um, the Clippers, Denver, and then a back-to-back against Memphis. They go on the road to Indiana and then play Memphis again. And then they got Brooklyn and Boston. The, the second on, half... On the road, yeah. Yeah, and then... That's going to be wicked. <laughs> that, yeah, that's not going to be fun. And then you look even at the end of the season where, you know, the, where the standings and the seating is obviously the most important time 
the last three games of the year are at Utah, at Phoenix, and then they play against Denver. And before that, just their last 10 games, I mean, they're playing the, the Lakers, the Spurs, right before that stretch too. So yeah. they have they got a really tough second-half schedule coming up. And like you said, it's very important for them to obviously get these wins because they need it for the standings, but they need to rack up those wins um, against Western Conference opponents because you're in the, you're, they're not necessarily like distance from San Antonio, from Denver, from Golden State, Dallas, Memphis, mm-hmm. and even, I mean, a bit more towards the Pelicans, but the gap between them is not very far. So those Western Conference wins, as the seeding starts to take place in the second half, are going to be extremely important for them. And for them to be 9-9 nine and nine versus the Western Conference right now, that, that record's got to get way better in the second half. If they want to be able to have a good playoff position. They want to be able to have a secure spot. And they want to be able to show that they obviously can beat these teams in the Western Conference that they're competing with. Exactly. So you look at Phoenix, they're 13-7 and seven in the West. Clippers, who are in third place, are 14-7. and seven. Lakers are 17-6. and six. And Utah, leading the Western Conference in overall record, is 12-5. and five. So that shows you the, the disparity. The team's chasing Portland, which is in fifth right now. San Antonio's 12-12 and 12 against the West. Denver's 13-9. and nine. Golden State's 9-8. and eight. And then Dallas and Memphis are 8-10. and 10. So if I'm, I'm going to include the Pelicans because I do think they have a run in them. Uh, so we're looking at 11 teams. Of those 11 teams in the West, the only teams that the Blazers have already played twice are the Lakers and Golden State. That means every other team in that grouping, they're going to play twice in the second half. Yeah. And they have to play Brooklyn twice. And Miami twice, who is surging finally in the East. Like, and Boston twice. Which is Boston's been kind of a disappointment this year, but it's still Boston until further notice. So, yeah, I mean, that's like, thank goodness they've already played, you know, Milwaukee and the 76ers twice, but the second half of the schedule is going to be way more difficult than this half. And I could very easily see them in a situation, even with CJ and Nurk, to where they're struggling to remain, you know, over. Well, I mean, I think they'll be over 500, but. You know, you got 37 games. You know, are they 25 and 22? I think that's not 20, not 25 and 22. That would be 17 and 15. Like to me, 17, 15, 18, 14 is the most realistic record they could get in the second half. Yeah. And there's also the aspects st- still of, you know, when CJ comes back or Nurk, like how are they going to be when they do come back? Um, I don't, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if they need, they might need time. They might need time to get, yeah. Right, and they might need that time, and we don't know necessarily how long that's going to take. Um, but when they do come back, you know, if they don't come back and they're not, if, if they're not ready to go right away, you know, they're going to start getting ready to go in towards that 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 stretch towards the second half, towards the the back end of it, and they're going to they're going to need them to be um, at the level that you know most people are accustomed to by then. So we don't know what what they're going to look like when they come back, but that might also take some time too as that schedule starts to really ramp up. Yeah, and you wonder about CJ because he hurt his foot, which means he yeah. can't run and, and you know, he can do the bike and things like that, but he can't really run and cut. So when he comes back, he will not have really run and cut for a long time. Nurkic began the season out of shape and was having the worst season he's had in a long time. I think it was 9.8 points, 7 points, something, rebounds, whatever. Hopefully, since he just broke his wrist, he has been working his tail off from the waist down and working <laughs> on his cardio. And he actually he looked, he looked pretty good in a suit the other day. He looked pretty svelte. Uh, so hopefully he's been working on his conditioning so that when he gets back on the court, he's in shape and back to being old Nurk and giving them 18 and nine a night on a consistent basis and 60%, you know, from the, from the field and, you know, four or five assists. If he's that Nurk 
then that's going to help them a lot go down a stretch. If he's still the Nurk that was sort of slodging through the first half, then, you know, it's not going to be that much of an upgrade. Although, I mean, he's a way better defender than Cantor, but Cantor has been filling up the box score in other ways. So they need Nurk to be in shape and they need CJ to work himself back into shape as quick as possible. No doubt about that. Yeah, for sure. All right. So speaking of CJ, when he returns, a certain someone who's been lighting it up from three and making a name for himself yet again is Gary Trent, who will then go to the bench as the backup too. So the question we are posing here is, what will his role be? Will it be similar to what it was before CJ went down? Or will he have an increased role somehow, some way, either more minutes at the three or just getting more minutes than he would have normally as a backup because CJ has to ease his way back into being true 100% CJ. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's that's the thing that I'm, I'm so interested about because I don't think anybody can expect, you know, the way that um, Gary has been playing for him to be demoted to the bench and to not have any minutes at all whatsoever. I think he has shown that he has a valuable role for the Blazers and that when CJ comes back, he's not going to necessarily go back to what he's been, some of the roles that he was in before. Um, so for me, when you look at him in that bench rotation with him, Melo, Robert Covington, those are just, to me, at least the three core guys that I see coming off the bench um, for their bench unit. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just curious about like what, what the minute splits are going to be like, what the lineups are going to be like with him in that role, because now we've been so used to him playing in the starter role, what it's going to look like now that, you know, he's shown that he's extremely valuable for the three-point line. And he can be able to score for them and, and add um, much more than you know what he's been able to do in the past for them, too. Yeah, so he, as, as the backup to and getting some minutes at three, he was getting right around 20 to 25 minutes per game. Then with CJ out, he was getting well over 30. And so that's, that's you know, that's where, huh? That's, 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 a, that's a chunk right there to jump Yeah, off. exactly. So, and he's handling it well. Now, the one thing about him that sort of bugs me a little bit, I know people are really high on him, is he doesn't do much else other than shoot the three. Like, he doesn't create a lot. He's not very good in the mid-range. He does play solid defense, although all the analytics have his defensive rating kind of lower than you would hope. Um, He doesn't rebound. Uh, Like, he's pretty much, to me, just a a Kyle Korver almost in, in a lot of different ways. But regardless, they are banking on shooting a ton of threes or second in the NBA with 42 threes a game. Yeah. I mean, they, <laughs> I guess, I mean, how many Charlotte, did? they set a franchise record with 24 makes. So they need what he brings, but his minutes are going to clearly be reduced from the 36 he averaged in the month of February. Once CJ comes back. And, and the other thing too, is, you know, like you mentioned, he had, he's getting about 36 minutes. The important thing when guys have their minutes like reduced like that is that you know they're obviously playing on the court less, but in that time they have to be more efficient. They have to be they have to um, in in that shorter shorter amount of time they don't get as much flexibility as the minutes that they had before. So right. you know in that shorter time, you know he can shoot the ball, but he's gonna have to be able to at least show those other elements of his game too um, in the, in that shorter time. So. That's what that's what I'm interested to see is that you know obviously his minutes are going to be reduced when CJ comes back, but what type of role he looks like in the second half and when those minutes do get reduced, does anything change with his role and how he plays on the court and how his performance ultimately plays out? Right. No, I agree. I, you know, I, I will say though that the minutes. Let, let's say he lo- so. so okay, let me go back. Oh, sorry, he was 35.6 minutes in February, and that was all games without 
CJ playing. In the month of January, he was at 28.8, but that included half the month after CJ went down. So he played 24, 21, 41, 38, 37 minutes after CJ went down. You can see right away, initially, he only played 24, 21. He actually didn't play all that well, one for nine in one game. But then he got 41, 38, 37. And that's where it kicked in to the point where he was getting the high 30s, mid to high 30s per game in minutes. But McCollum comes back and takes, you know, eight minutes from him. Those eight minutes are going to be better minutes because he's just way better than Trent. The question I wonder is, are they going to say, okay, but we want Trent to still get 30 plus minutes. So we're going to play him a lot more at the three. And then that means fewer minutes for um, Derek Jones, who is a legitimate plus defender, but nowhere near the score that Trent is. It's an interesting puzzle. I know that's yeah. It, that lineup puzzle. It's going to be really interesting to monitor for them. And, and as the games go on too, um, that's for them to figure out. We we we, <laughs> got to, we, we just got to talk about it. That's not a, That's not our that's, job. That's why Stas gets paid the big bucks. And then aside from Trent, so everything just shifts down. So if Trent's losing minutes, guess who else is losing a lot of minutes? Anthony Simons. You know, Rodney Hood. All these guys are going to be losing minutes. And as as well as they've mostly been playing during this time, the bottom line is whatever minutes they're losing to CJ are going to be better better minutes. I think that they've established a lot of depth during this stretch that they can count on Trent for more minutes. They can count on Hood. They, well, I mean, they already knew they could count on Hood, but you can count on uh, Simons more than you thought you could before CJ went down. But at the end of the day, without CJ, this this team is sunk. I think they've been basically getting by on smoke and mirrors with playing some weak Eastern Conference teams uh, with this crew. I think we saw the true nature of where the Blazers are without CJ and Nurk during that four-game losing stretch when they lost to Washington, Phoenix, Denver, and the Lakers. If they were going to see in the second half without Nurkic and CJ, I think they'd have more stretches like that against Western Conference teams, and they'd fall further and further down the standing. So whatever happens with those those guys are usually coming off the bench, CJ coming back is an absolute must. For sure. Do you think, uh, do you think CJ will return back to the level he was playing before he got hurt? <clears throat> What Stotts has been saying is that CJ's been doing shooting drills and stuff like that. He just can't run and cut. I do think it's going to take some time to get into completely 100% uh, game shape, you know, which we talked about earlier. So I think early on, maybe he doesn't play 36, 37 minutes a game. I think maybe he only plays 30, and then Trent's still getting around 30 minutes per game. But I think after a couple of weeks of getting his win back, and he keeps himself in great shape anyway, I think it's not going to be long before he's back to being what he was before, which was actually when he left, he was the best player on the team. Like yeah, he got he hurt. His, his overall numbers were better than, than Lillard's other than assists, um, but his shooting, his shooting numbers were better. So uh, yeah, I think, I think he'll be fine. He's a pro man. He's, he's, I think he's almost 30 and uh, he takes good care of his body. He's in good shape. He's, he's bulked up the last couple of years to try and handle the rigors of the NBA better. So now I, I think it'll take him maybe three, four, five games to really f- reach peak CJ. <laughs> Good to see that's good for them too. They they'll need it for sure. Definitely. So let me ask you this. Um, just real quick, we'll close on this. The MVP race, of course, Lillard put his name, you know, squarely on the list with that six zero run and having this team at eighteen and ten and how well he was doing without Nurkic and CJ. But I still feel like at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, when we get to the end of the season, that he's you know, he might be top six or seven, but I don't think he's going to be a threat. What do you think? I think as the season goes on, 
the, his candidacy, his candidacy will probably go down a little bit more. I think what we've seen the last month, like the way it rolls up to, I mean, you could make the case at one point, like he was in the top three with Embiid and with LeBron. But I do think as the season goes on, that it may fizzle out a little bit. I think Dane will still obviously be playing at, at an extremely high level, but I, I more so see it as like, you know, Embiid and LeBron as the season goes on. I just think that their teams are atop the conference, right? And right. as that success goes on, you see that those guys get that attention, that that notoriety. And also more, I, I, one other thing, and I'm not just saying this because I'm from Milwaukee, <laughs> but I, I do think <clears throat> look at the stress that Giannis has had recently. I mean, look at the game this past Sunday against the Clippers was, I think, an MVP performance from him. But Milwaukee has started to pick things up now. And I think the way that Giannis has been playing, too, if the Bucks start to rack up more of these wins, they just got Drew Holiday back. But if they continue to rack up these wins more, I think Giannis is once again going to supplant himself right in that conversation. He might lead past uh, Dame, actually, I think. And so if Milwaukee continues to get those wins, there's a chance that Giannis, the way he's been playing, man, and if the Bucks continue doing as well, there's a chance that he also might get his third straight MVP with along along with Embiid and LeBron being in this conversation. I think that I think the Bucks in that situation hurts Dame and his MVP candidacy as the season goes on. Right, exactly. And and I got into a little Twitter debate the other day with some Blazer fans, and they were, you know, I said, right now to me, Jokic based on stats is the MVP because I thought Jokic has the best all around stats because he's 26 and 11 rebounds and then the most assists per game. Uh, for a center since Will Chamberlain, 8.6 or whatever, plus his shooting numbers are crazy. And then I was thrown back. I mean, we have a worthy understanding. And I'm like, dude, it's February. Like, right. don't think the Blazers are not going to be 18 and 10 the entire season, right? They're going to lose some games. And then, of course, they lost four in a row and they lost to Denver. And it's the same thing now with Giannis. Giannis, Giannis was NBA.com has a rank. I'm sure you've seen it. They ranked the MVP yep. race. And they had Giannis like in the like eight range at one point. Lillard was down there too. Then all of a sudden Lillard jumped to three. And I don't know where he is now. I haven't checked the latest one, but Giannis the last five games, as you mentioned, 20, they five and oh during this stretch. Now, granted, they played OKC, Sacramento, Minnesota, Pelicans. They did beat the Clippers though. So it was a similar five and oh than what the Blazers had in that you're not winning against a lot of good teams, but still 29, 19 and eight, 38, 18 and four, 37, eight and eight, 38, 10 and four. And 36, 14, and 5. That's just stupid. Those <laughs> numbers are way better than Lillard at any stretch of this season. And his shooting percentages are strong as well. The, the only thing he doesn't really do is shoot threes. Uh, he's, he racked up – he's got six, seven, ten blocks during that stretch too. So, yeah, I mean, right there that shows you that Giannis is in it. So you've got, you've got Embiid, LeBron, Giannis, Lillard, Jokic. And, and uh, for all the talk about the controversy with the all-star starter – Luka Doncic's numbers all around are better than Lillard. His three-point shooting is less than Lillard, but his effective field goal percentage and true shooting are better than Lillard. Um, so he's in that mix too. So it's, it's going to be a wild race, but we all know that usually a team within the top two or three in terms of record gets the MVP. As a matter of fact, six of the last eight MVPs were playing on the team that had the best record in the league. Harden is also going to be in this race. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think Damon's going to be in it, but I don't think there's much chance he's going to win it. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough in that second half. I really do think it's gonna be tough for him. And a lot of it, I mean, unfortunately, this is just I think part of just the MVP race and how it goes is it, it depends on the Blazers' success. Like if they are right. in the middle, of, I mean, if they're in the middle of the Western Conference, it's gonna be hard when you have you know Joel Embiid and B. LeBron at the top of the conference with Giannis as well. And Kawhi, we didn't even mention Kawhi. 
I forgot to mention him. Yeah, you got Kawhi up there. I, I didn't have Kawhi very well, much. Well, in the top ten, in the top ten. I mean, he's got the second best record in the way. Or are they third? They're oh third wait, in the West. oh wait. You know who we didn't even talk about? This is ridiculous. I can't believe this. But honestly, Kevin Durant. He's been hurt though. He's only played nineteen games. But when he comes back, let's say when he comes yeah, back, yeah. He comes and they back. win eight out of ten, and he averages thirty three points per game. Boom! All of a sudden, he's in it. It just changes. Yeah. And Dame could do the same thing. You know, we were talking about how tough the West is in the second half of the schedule. And for all we know, Dame's going to have a week long stretch where he plays Phoenix, Denver, Utah, and someone else, and drops forty four a game. And then boom, he's back in. The, you know, yeah, in exactly the, at the top. So like if like if Kevin Durant, you know, like you said, you know, he's only played you know nineteen games this year, but. I mean, the, I mean, in those games he was playing, man. No, he was amazing. Which is ridiculous. And if he comes right. back in the second half, like, I think he has, like, a steeper hill to climb. Like, but it, the way he was playing, the level that he was playing at, it's like, if he can play the majority of those games, he's, he's going to be in that conversation as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool, man. Well, I appreciate having you on. We'll do this again for sure. That means you have to, you know, stay on top of the Blazers. You have to actually, you know – Tell all your tell your girlfriend or whatever you got if you got one in Portland yet to say sorry, honey. I got to watch the Blazers tonight. Like it's a uh, it's, <laughs> you know, it's tough. I do unfortunately I don't have uh, don't have a girlfriend, so I do hear have, that, ladies. He's available. So I so I do so I do got that <laughs> flexibility to watch any anything that I want at night. You know, sometimes I let my missing story. Sometimes I do like NBA basketball, but it, it it has been it's been different because you know I'm in Seattle, so like I don't I can't just turn on the TV and watch the Blazers game, so. I gotta, oh, uh, you're living in Seattle? I'm still in Seattle. Still in Seattle. I haven't, I haven't moved up uh, or moved down there. Dude, I didn't, even, I didn't even think about that, but that makes sense. Why would you come down there? There's no office to go to right now because we're closed. <laughs> yeah, not yet. So I'm still remote right now in Seattle. Uh, so uh, watching okay. the games is like I'm still like an outsider. Like I got to, uh, you know, find the very legal uh, places <laughs> to play your games and stuff like that. So to keep, up. I didn't even, I didn't even realize you were still in Seattle. But that makes total sense. Okay, well you're off the hook then. I'll let you slide. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool, man. Well, thanks for joining me, and definitely we'll do this again. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, there you have it. Thanks for listening to the Blazer Focus Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and we will see you soon. Big all-star break coming up, and then a huge second half of the season around the corner loaded with big games. Be sure to follow this podcast as we keep you up to date with all the news and hot takes you can possibly handle surrounding these Portland Trailblazers.